Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. We hope that this message encourages you, challenges you, and speaks to your heart. Enjoy the message. Now, I want to recap a couple of things from last week's message, just in case either you didn't hear it, you weren't here, or you were asleep. There were three main things that were very important for, for me and, and what we were doing. The first thing that I want to recap from last week's message is that ungodly beliefs, the ungodly beliefs that we operate in, they only hinder God's active power in our life to be able to progress His will on earth. The longer you function in an ungodly belief, the less you're able to complete the will of the Father. So the longer you think, I'm okay, I'm not hurt, the less you'll be able to do in the kingdom of heaven. The less you'll be able to advance the kingdom of heaven. Second thing I I want to recap is that our relationship with the Father is not actually ours. All we have done through the process of adoption is entered into the relationship Jesus has with the Father. We didn't create a new relationship. We simply stepped into what Jesus already had with the Father. That's why we can sit at the right hand of the Father and it's not a problem. It's designed for us to be there. But the biggest and most important thing is the following, that you cannot be a son or a daughter of God if you cannot be a son or a daughter to your earthly parents. Some of us here have hidden pains and wounds and unforgiveness. And the only thing that can break you free of that is Father's love. You, you, you can think you're okay. No, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm not hurt. I got no resentment until you start to feel those things. It's, it's easy. Oh, man, is it easy to lie to people about how fine you are. I'm good. My, you know, my father mistreated me, abandoned me, um, abused me when I was little, but I'm good now. I'm fine. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm good. But you can't stand being around other males. Uh, I feel uncomfortable when you're near me, but I'm good. I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm healed. The Lord healed me. Really? Because healing never holds fragments of pain if healing actually happened. When you're, he- when you're healed, you don't still walk in the symptoms. When you're healed, it's because you're healed. If you used to walk with the limb and you're healed, do you still walk with the limb? No, you walk because you're healed. You walked normal. But we think, I'm healed, and yet we still have, I can't stand being around my mother. But I'm healed. I can't stand being around my father. I hate my father. Thank you, Jesus, for your healing. I'm healed. It doesn't work like that. Healing heals. It doesn't leave fragments of the pain. I want you to really understand that. And we, and we read here in 1 Samuel where the great judge and prophet said that unless or if you want to return to the Lord, 
I want to emphasize a couple of things that Samuel says here. He says, if you want to return to the Lord with half of your heart, is that what it says? With 98% of your heart? I love the fact that Samuel says, with all of your heart. There is no partiality. You either return to the Lord with all your heart, or you can't return to the Lord. Jesus didn't save you only 50%. He didn't come to restore 75% of your soul. Jesus paid the full price so you could experience the fullness of the Father. Some of you got that. Some of you missed it completely. But Samuel says this when he's speaking to the people of Israel. If you want to return to the Lord with all of your heart. In other words, it's either everything or it's nothing. He gives them then the instruction. If you, if you can meet that first requirement. If you can meet the first requirement to come back to the Lord with all of your heart. This is what you got to do. He says, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Now, you may be asking, what the heck is an Ashtoreth? Essentially, she was the goddess of lust. She was a pagan goddess, or in modernized terms, it would be a demon of lust and sexual perversion. But it's funny how Samuel says, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. In other words, there was a physical representation of lust and perversion that the Israelites were worshiping. Samuel would not tell them to get rid of your foreign gods if there were no foreign gods present. He would not tell them, remove the images of lust and perversion if there was no images of lust and perversion. And we're talking about the people of Israel. God's chosen. This was already after the Red Sea. This was after Moses. This was after Joshua. Didn't Moses come down and find the people of Israel worshiping a calf? Wasn't this already dealt with? <laughs> and yet here comes Samuel again telling them, if you want to return to the Lord, notice that he doesn't say with your mind and your body. He says with all of your heart. Some of, you, some of you still don't understand how important your heart is. You still think about it as something, it's just my heart. It's fine. It's, yeah, it's, you know, it's bleeding. I'm bleeding out. I got a bunch of holes in it. But it still works. I'm still, you know, I'm still alive. I still come to church. I still tithe. I still go through the motions. I still raise my hand and sing. But, I mean, my, my heart's completely destroyed, but I still do all those things. Like I mentioned to you last week, pretending is easy. But it's never worth it. And Samuel 
then tells them, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Asterith, which again was just a, a god, the goddess of lust. But essentially what Samuel is telling them is, you must remove everything that you have placed as a god in your life, including your desires. Asterith was the goddess of lust. Lust, essentially, if you break it down, yes, is an extreme desire for sexual um, actions, but it's also, you know, when people mention that they lust for power or they lust for money, it's an extreme desire for something. When you lust for something, it's because everything in your body, in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, in your emotions, in your energy is devoted to consuming or to having that thing. When I was growing up, I was possessed by lust. All I wanted to do was act upon the lust that was filled in my life because I had many images of Asterith. The, the, the most insane thing is that this goddess of lust is running rampant in our society today. Young boys are sprinting to sexual perversion because they don't want to be left out of the trend of having lots of sex at a young age. Girls are now turning to online perversion, selling themselves, their images and videos of themselves, doing horrendous actions simply because they want money and fame. Parents, if you don't know what's happening around your children, be very careful. What, that you don't be a tool for the enemy to sneak in there. Pay attention to what your kids do online. Pay attention to what's trending around. I don't want to mention the names of these things for the sake of, if you don't know and you're a young guy, great. But if you are curious, parents, talk to me. My ear is very close to the ground. I hear a lot of things, and I, I'm always tracking a lot of things to make sure I like to stay up to date with the devil's current strategy plans. I don't know about you, but I'm interested in what he's doing so that I can learn how to stop him. If you're interested, then we can do it together. If not, don't stand in my way. Amen? Amen? All right. Very motivational today, right? As Samuel continues telling them, once you have gotten rid of your foreign gods and your images of perversion and lust, in other words, you've gotten rid of everything that you have deemed more important than God, and even you've given up your own desires for whatever plans you have and whatever objectives that you have, he then tells them, turn your hearts to the Lord and obey Him alone. Samuel needed to add that last part, obey Him alone, because at this point the Israelites were playing both teams. They would obey God, but then they would obey their false gods. They were split between these two 
belief systems because they thought, well, if we have, you know, back in Egypt and, you know, we're always referencing what we used to once have and, you know, our ancestors did this and we owe, and, and our family tradition is to do. So Samuel had to remind him, turn your heart to the Lord and obey him alone. Everyone say alone. Then, the Lord, then Samuel says, once you've done this, then he will rescue you from the Philistines. The Philistines were Israel's arch nemesis. But to us, it's simply just our own modern sin. When we're able to return with all of our heart, because that's, that becomes our desire, and we, re, and we remove everything that we place before God, and we've dropped our own passions and desires for, for, for fame and wealth and possessions and re reputation and all these things, and we're able to turn our hearts to the Lord, and we begin to only obey what He says. He says that He will rescue us from our Philistines, which in other words, it's the oppression of orphanhood or orphanism. No, that's not a real word. Yes, I am making it one. Orphanism is the current Philistine army of modern-day church culture. The church is filled with members, great members, it's almost like we're a Sam's Club. We got a lot of members, people coming in left and right, giving and tithing and donating and helping and doing all these things. But there's no sons. There are no daughters. And I don't read in Scripture where the Bible says, make sure you have a lot of members, Peter, in your church. I don't read in Scripture where it says, therefore, and make many churches and fill them. No, it says to make a disciple. What is a disciple? At the heart of a disciple is a son, is a daughter. Orphanism is the church's Philistines today. But where are the Davids that see the problem and are ready with their slingshot? Where are those men and women that hear the voice of the enemy saying, you're not welcomed, accepted, or loved, you're rejected, nobody wants you? Where are the men and women that are saying, hey, 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 who's that, who's that Philistine, who's that uncircumcised Philistine speaking? Who is there telling my people that they're unwanted when it says in front of me that Jesus died for them? Who is that bag of bones? Who is that liar? Who is that dead man walking? Where are the Davids? Where are the men and women that are standing up to orphanism? Oh, you know, when COVID came, yeah, we were very, you know, let's fight against this and fight the fear. And we did all those things. Yeah, that's great. But this enemy's bigger. How so? Because the church embraces it. Orphanism has invaded the church because it's orphanism has created a church in which if you do something, you're fine. 
I'm serving the church. Oh, then you're fine. You're a son of God. Yeah, you're fine. But at home, your life is destroyed. Your marriage is completely fake. Your kids, horribly lost. Oh, but come Sunday morning, we're serving on the worship team, or we're serving on the greeting team, or we're serving in kids' ministry. It's become all about doing, and we've lost the intimacy. If you didn't notice today, I, I took my gloves off. And I figured I wouldn't pull my punches today. So if you are in the splash zone, which you all are, I hope I get to jab you today with some truth. Let me read some things before I get completely overrun with the time. I don't know, there's, there's just something about this morning. I was praying for James when we were having our prayer meeting. And I felt this, like, this heat, this fire when I was just praying for him. I don't know about you guys, but there's, there's just something here today. Because I, I know the room is cold, but I don't feel cold. Now I know why pastor's always hot. Because there's something, there's, there's something that when, when you connect with what the Father is doing, and I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about you. When you connect with what the Father is doing, the Father has no other choice because He likes to be wanted, so He shows up. And I believe that the Father is going to sit in this room. And I think He is sitting in this room. So watch out if He sits next to you today. Don't mind me. Don't mind the people around you. And if there's somebody falling asleep, kick them off their chair and wake them up. Hey, we got no rules here this morning. I want to say this to you. The key to spiritual growth. Check this out. Profoundness. The key to spiritual growth is getting rid of the things that hinder us from experiencing the reality of His love. Samuel said it himself. If you want your whole heart to turn to the Lord and come back to the Lord, you have to get rid of your false gods. You have to remove Ashtoreth. There is something that you have to do in order to reach where you want to go. Yes, it's true that God did everything for us already. He already paid the price. Remember, we're alive today because somebody else had to die. Somebody paid the price so you and I can have what we have today. But Kevin, I don't have a lot. Yeah, but whose fault is that? Yeah, but I'm suffering. Yeah, because you did everything everyone told you not to do. Yeah, but it, I'm, I come to church. Yeah, but you're asleep half the time. But I give my tithes when you want to. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. There's always a but to your but. And we need to finally understand, church, that unless you do this the right way, and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about how Wendy, you know, on Wednesday was bowing before God and thinking that this is how God wants us to worship. I'm not speaking about doing things to do them. I'm talking about 
realizing that when you actually become a son and a daughter, it completely changes everything about you. And nothing about you is the same and you can't do things the same. You can no longer think and speak and see the same things. It changes everything. And there are so many people that are continuing to complain that they don't grow, yeah, because they don't do anything. And it bothers me. It bothers me when people blame the church, blame the pastor, blame God because their life is the way that it is, but it's nobody's fault. It's never their fault. It's everybody else's. It's like if I right now, if I take my car and I crash on purpose and I blame everybody else for driving. That's literally what we do. We take choices knowing that we're not supposed to make those choices. We do things knowing that we're not supposed to do those things, and yet we complain and say, it's your fault. You didn't help me. I never told you to go that way. I said, go this way. You know how Star-Lord tells Gamora? I said, go right. Movies. All movies this time. No, nobody knows that reference? Avengers? No? Endgame? No? Okay. I got a lot of movies in my head, and I'm... One, one, one of these years, when I'm older and more established, I'm going to do an entire series on God and movies. I'll figure out how to do it. I'll, I'll find a way. But the key to spiritual growth is getting rid of the things that hinder us from experiencing the reality of His love. It's such a simple truth, but it's a truth that many people avoid. I don't want to get rid of these things. Why? Well, if we're honest, we've already gotten used to living with the pain. Feeling the pain has become normal. And if you remove normal, us as humans don't like that. We don't like living outside of what is already normal to us. But when we experience healing... Our hearts experience a new normal. And people sometimes get uncomfortable with that. What do you mean I can't feel sorry for myself anymore? What? I can't, I can't feel bad that they did bad things to me when I was growing up? I can't, then, then I don't want to be healed. I want to feel better about myself. Well, that's kind of in, in, insensitive, Kevin. Maybe. But you know, we're very insensitive to the Father And sometimes we need a little bit of insensitivity to wake up to our reality. The reality of this is a lot of us complain about what's wrong with our life, and it's your fault. But the beautiful thing about it is that even though it's our fault, the Father still paves a way out of it. A good Father will always find a way to help when His sons and daughters are in need. And even in our own biggest mistakes and when, and when we bring shame, God still provides grace and He still provides the way out. But sometimes we have the audacity to complain that God is not actually for me. If God wasn't for you, you'd be burning right now. <laughs> Remember what He did on the cross. Yes, life is hard and life is difficult. It is. 
Things happen that mess you up. They do. You lose a husband, you lose a wife, you lose a son, you lose a daughter, you lose a job, you experience financial ruin. But that doesn't change who God is. That doesn't change. Just because you experience a difficult moment in your life, it doesn't alter God's plan for you. Let me see it again. Just because you experience a moment in which it hurts, it's painful, and it's making you feel ugly emotions, that doesn't mean that the purpose of God over you has changed. One person got it. When we realize that we have to yield to the will of the Father fully, the Holy Spirit comes in like a truck, moving things out of the way because what's coming is the Father's invasion of love. But I want to tell you something about Christianity, about the belief system that we have and what Scripture tells us. Christianity can be categorized as self-energized from the inside out. Christianity is Christ. Okay? Christ does not depend on anything other than the Father's love for sustaining. So if you aspire to be a Christian, then your source of sustain cannot be anything other than what Christ was held by. Christ was held by love, and therefore if you are seeking any other type of sustain in life that's not the love of the Father, your sustain will fail. Money will leave. Your wealth will fry up. Your influence will dry up. But the love of the Father, it's your one-way ticket to eternity. The love of the Father is what, it's what holds everything together. You think Jesus was able to endure what he endured just because he had enough willpower to do so? He was sent on a mission. He was sustained by love. And it was because of love that he did it. Here's the thing. If you are living real Christianity, it will create a Christian in you. Transforming you to be everything that Jesus is. Right? Pretty simple. <laughs> we don't have to do anything for this to happen. The healing and the cleansing of the Father's love does this. The transformation process is God's speciality. But here is the kicker. If you are not being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, truthfully, you are not experiencing Christianity. You may simply be living in a religion. And the church has become a religious organization of doing things for God, never knowing who He is. 
If you're falling asleep, you probably need this more than anybody. If you are not being transformed into the likeness of Christ, you may simply be living in a religious belief or, as we now know, an ungodly belief. I mean, I can continue reading and reading and reading and reading and saying a lot of different things. But I want to make sure that I'm sensible to the Holy Spirit. I just, I, I, I understand that this is not an easy topic. Last week was a lot more soothing to the soul and to the heart. And, 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 I, and I understand. But like I mentioned to you this morning, I'm on a mission and I will not let up. I won't. And I can't. Because your eternity is at stake. Your eternity is at stake. A.W. Tozer once said, We're often so concerned with not offending anybody that we end up reaching no one. We're so concerned with doing things the right way and saying it the right way as to not offend anybody and in doing that we never actually reach anyone the kingdom of heaven. But unless you understand the reality is that we are an, in a war. You, if you decide to turn your heart to the Lord, you are joining an army. You're enlisting in the army of the king. And if you're enlisting, your enemy is already after you. But the enemy, what he thinks he can do with us, he sometimes, for, or he doesn't forget because he knows he's already defeated. We're the ones that forget that he's defeated. We, we think that we're fighting an enemy that can actually overtake us. But in fact, we're already, we get overtaken by our own ungodly beliefs. He convinces us of lies and we live with them thinking that we're healed. And I just, I, I just can't shake that this morning. I just feel that there's people here this morning that are actively, even as I'm speaking right now, they're saying in their head, nope, I'm good, I'm fine. Nope, mm -mm. nope, I'm not opening that jar because I'm good, I'm fine. They've already prayed for me once, four years ago, and even though I can't think about it because it brings me pain, I'm fine, I'm good. And I just kind of hear that, that in my head. And, and if that's you, if you're the one that's thinking those things and you're kind of, you know, resisting and pushing, I recommend that you not do that. I recommend that you allow God to heal what's in your heart. And I'm telling you from personal experience, living with resentment in your heart will only put you in a hole that you cannot get out of on your own. I am telling you from physical experience. The truth about Christianity is this, and we know it. We've read about it. Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us to God. That was the first part. The second part then was opening a door to relationship with the Father, who then becomes our Father through adoption. And the third and most important part where most people stop 
they don't continue is we live in the experience of the Father loving us continuously. Christianity is so much bigger than the mere knowledge that God loves me. The God loves you is just a statement unless you experience the love of God. Oh, God loves me. Well, that's, the, that's theologically correct, but it doesn't mean that it's a belief system in you. When we learn the reality of being loved continuously, man, it makes everything different. When you actually understand that you are continuously loved, that in everything you do, the love odometer, the love meter, doesn't go down. Sometimes, us as parents, our kids do something, and our love meter goes. Anyone ever felt that? No, I love my kids to death. Yeah, sometimes you want them to be. I, I, I'll, I'll speak from my heart. I'll be, I'll be honest. I'll be vulnerable. There are times where, you know, Oliver's in the terrible two phase, and sometimes he's stubborn like his old man. And he, and he doesn't want to do things, or he does things, and you're thinking, I've already told you six different times, stop doing that. And you get that level of holy love, and you're just like, understand and and I realized oh man this is how my father probably felt with me <sighs> and sometimes I think Lord is that how you think of me and the fact of the matter is that his love for us never ever decreases because there is no shadow of variation in his nature Jesus died for me, and he didn't sort of kind of die for Wendy. The way that he died for me, he died for her. The way that he loves me, he loves her. Oh, that's easy. She's your wife. It applies to you. The same that it applies to me, it applies to you. And when we learn to live, not know, not think about, but live, the way that you live in your house, right? You can walk in your house naked if you want to, and it doesn't matter because it's your house. Right, Brian? Your house. No one can tell you, hey, in your... I can't go to Danny and tell him, Danny, when you get to your house, you better have everything perfect. You better not have a single speck of dirt. You better not have... It's his house. If he wants to live in a pigsty, he can live in a pigsty. Thankfully, he doesn't. I've been there. It's nice. But here's the reality. The way that his house is decorated and all these things, I would never pick most of those things. Me. But do they care? No. Why? It's not my house. Their likes in their house is all that matters. Just as in my house, what I have in my house, if you don't like it, sorry, but it's my house. We live in there. 
we do things in it is the same experience when you live in the Father's love. When you live in the action of Father loving you, you get to be who you are. You are your real you when He's in you. And we're so used to being the alternate version of me because He's not in me. We, we get accustomed to living with this facade, this mask of, this is me, this is me right now. But it's just a mask. Everyone wants to know who's under the mask. The Father already knows. He wants others to know who's under the mask for you. And like David, are you willing to look more foolish than he did. You want to know why you're struggling with what you struggle with? You want to know why you're still where you are, where you feel that you're in a hamster in a wheel running in circles, boom, boom, and you just can't get out? And you think you make progress, and next thing you know, you're right back in the loop, and you're just going in circles? Do you really want to know why you, you, you struggle with what you struggle Why I struggle with what I struggle with? The reality is simple. We have not returned all of our heart to the Lord. We've given Him segments. We've given Him parts. Okay, Lord, I got all this in here. I'm going to give you from that wall to here, but this little space is mine, but everything else you can take. But this space, uh-uh. No one can know about this. No one can know about this. You've given Him minor sections but you've never given him the root problems. We like God to treat our symptoms. We don't like when he takes the axe to the root, the axe to the root. But see, the Lord is not interested in symptoms. You think that when Jesus healed the blind man, that he just was like, okay, you're going to see for today only. It wasn't a temporary miracle. That's not God's nature. God is not a God of temporary. When Jesus spat on the dirt and he stuck it on the man's eyes, he wasn't saying, okay, hey, I know that you've been faking it, but right now you need to stop faking. When he healed them, it forever changed how he physically saw the world. He was no longer blind, but he could see. And we have to understand that when God does things, He does things from zero to a hundred. He doesn't stop halfway. He doesn't do things partially completed. Like, like us. Like our laundry. Our laundry is always partially completed. We wash and we dry and we take it out and then I tell Wendy, oh, we'll do it tomorrow. Life's biggest lie. And then we do some of it, but then there's more here, and then there's this. And it's partiality is human nature. It's not God's. God says, I'm going to save you. You're saved. I'm going to redeem you. You're redeemed. I'm going to heal you. You're healed. He doesn't say, okay, I'm going to put my hand on you. You're going to feel it only 50%. You, you know, you're still going to walk with a little bit of a limp, but you're going to be kind of healed. Yeah, you, you know, you'll be okay. You'll, you'll, you'll be all right. Oh, God is not interested 
The Father is not interested in a sort of relationship with you. You either have one or you don't. You either experience or you don't. I don't want to live in the outpouring cup where you, where you get a little bit, woo, Sunday morning, woo, and you're walking on clouds, and then come Monday morning, oh, and you're already completely drained. I want to live in a cup that I can drink from. Mm. I'm thirsty again. Mm. I'm thirsty again. And it's a continuous experience. If I finish this bottle, there's more. Just as the Father's love. You experience Him right now, great! But there's still more. You experience a life-changing moment. That's wonderful! But there's still more. It doesn't stop. It doesn't run out. It actually gets more aggressive and more ferocious. When you start to fall deeper in love with the Father, he starts, to, he starts to be Him with you. He stops apologizing. He stops even being so um, polite. He's simply just like a newly wedded couple. They just go at each other. The Father just starts to go at you. He doesn't even wait for you to get in the car before you're bawling like a baby or crying. Or just laughing. He doesn't even wait. He doesn't even ask for your permission. He just overtakes you. That's where Jesus sat. That's the chair that Jesus sits in today. That's why Jesus could walk and say, What do you need? Oh, you, you can't walk. Be healed. And it was just another day. Because he was walking in the continuous experience of Father's love. In that continuous experience of Father's love, when you see people, you see them the way God loves them. Therefore, when you pray for them, you actually believe that they can get healed. You actually believe, hey, if I'm experiencing this and I'm living in this continuous cycle of just being flushed and flushed and flushed with love, that means that they can also experience it, but their pain and suffering is limiting them. So let me pray for the healing that I know that I received that they can have also, and they're also going to live in it. And in doing that, when we, can you imagine a church filled with actual loved, infused believers? You know how, how much of a problem that would be in a church? Because we'd run out of people to pray for. So guess what? We'd have to flood the streets. And then guess what the, that problem would be? No more sick people on the streets. So we'd have to look for more territory. But see, the fact of the matter is that was the plan back in the early church. Invade as much as you can and overtake as much as you can with the gospel. Not with polite doctrine. The gospel. The gospel's basis is the love of the Father for His sons and daughters. For God so loved that He gave. I love that so much. But we often say, Lord, yes, I'll give you my Sunday mornings unless I'm busy. That can be a minor problem. I just can't come to church sometimes. That's a minor problem. But the root problem is, Lord, I, I need you to deal with the wound of rejection that my father left me when he abused me and cursed me as a little boy. That's a root problem. That is a life-changing healing moment. You coming... It's funny how the root 
causes always change the minor symptoms. Before, ah, coming to church was a struggle. Oh, it is for some people. Or staying awake in service was a struggle. Oh, I have to, come on, come on, I can stay awake. I got to focus. I got to do this. And, you know, you would give this extra effort. But then once your heart gets healed, it's no longer a struggle to come to church. It's no longer a struggle to stay awake. You do it naturally because your new normal has now become, this is what I love doing. This is where I love being. I love being where the Father is. So no one needs to convince me to stay awake. No one needs to convince me to go. I'm already there. My mind, my heart is already where the Father is. We often want to treat the minor symptoms and we avoid the root problems. Run quickly with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians has a lot of really great truths that unless you confess and live by and breathe and read, you're going to struggle a lot. Ephesians chapter 4. You, you, Danny, you said to end around 3, right? Okay. Danny said that we have to end at 3 today um, because he's inviting us to his house. So he said after church or at 3. So it's the same thing. Okay, so we got about another, another two and a half hours, church. Are you still ready for this? You still want more? Perfect. Hope you have a lot. Of, hope. Hope you're ready. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says this. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and have hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. It's funny how when I read this part of scripture, it's like I'm hearing Samuel's voice all over again. And this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Now, if you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is somebody that was simply not of Jewish uh, birth. So, you know, you have your Jewish uh, descent and your Jewish people, and you all have the Gentiles, which is you and I, everybody else. <laughs> We're Gentiles. I, I, I sometimes use that. I'm like, I, I tell my wife, you're such a... You Gentile as like a joke, right? It just means you're just not a Jewish person. It just, you know, sometimes you got to think of creative ways to, to communicate strongly your desires to your wife sometimes. As a joke, okay? It's a joke. Okay. You don't have to use it. It just means other people. Now, normally Gentiles were considered um, like heathens because they would practice pagan religions and they had pagan beliefs not all but some and it's just it's just a matter of differentiating between the jewish community which were um you know seeking out the messiah they didn't believe that christ is the messiah and then you have the gentiles in which had another belief system like you and me had other belief systems before christ 
Before the coming of the Messiah in our life, we were pagan Gentiles, full of everything but God. But I love what Paul writes to Ephesus. I love that first part in verse 17. With the Lord's authority, I say. Paul knew who he was. He had no issue. Paul had no problem saying, hey, I come in the name of God. Why? Because I'm his son. And as his son, I can speak with the same authority he has. Because he sent me. I, the way I kind of see it is, you know, that one kid that's always like, hey, hey, my mom said that. My dad said you can't do that. My dad said you can't say that. It's kind of how Paul was in this moment. My dad said, and he bust out Ephesians 4.17. I say, because the Lord's authority is with me, live no longer as the Gentiles do. And I, I love this. I just love the way Paul writes. He says, because they are hopelessly confused. You're talking about the same guy that wrote about hope in Romans chapter 8. Our hope, and now he's saying that they, the Gentiles, the pagans, are hopelessly confused. This guy knew a little bit about hope. And he's, and he's telling us, if you live like the Gentiles, if you live like those that worship foreign gods and, and, and bow to the image of Asterisk, you are going to be hopelessly confused. In other words, you're not going to know what's evil and what's right, what's good. You're going to be hopelessly confused. Now, the term hopelessly confused in this section doesn't actually relate to having hope for your future. It just means that you're just going to struggle a lot more. Like a hopeless romantic, the person that just falls in love with the first person they see right off the bat. It doesn't mean that they're in a bad situation. It just tends to happen quickly and often. But this is what Paul describes as to why they're hopelessly confused. He says their minds are full of, talk to me, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives. Because why? They've closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts against Him. They didn't just harden their hearts. No, they did it against him. If you want to live hopelessly confused and angry and frustrated and resentful and bitter and every other negative thing you can think of, close your mind and your heart to the Father. And you will live hopelessly confused. When you harden your heart against Him who opened His heart for you, you're not going to understand why you go through what you go through. You're not going to be able to process rightfully what you're experiencing. You're not going to be able to understand what God has for you. When you're hopelessly confused, the concept of love is confusing. What do you mean you love me? What do you mean you have plans for me? What if I don't like those plans? What if I have something better? What do you mean you want to use me? Oh, that's so offensive. 
the concept of what God has for us becomes really, oh, that's so, I don't consent to any of that. You didn't consent to Jesus saving you, but he did it anyways. And Paul doesn't stop there. If you close your mind and you harden your heart, verse 19, they have no sense of shame. If you want to see a person that has no sense of shame, turn on your television in the month of June. Open up your social media in the month of June. Go to a department store in the month of June. And you'll see rainbows everywhere. And you'll see, especially in California, people celebrating their pride. Which you already know that is a false pagan god. But see, they see it as a celebratory thing. It, don't even get me started on that. But I'm going to touch it a little bit because it's important. And I, I, I need to hurry. When you have no sense of shame, any perversion is acceptable. Now, I know I say the word perversion and you automatically run to sexual things. A perversion is something that has simply been perverted. In other words, it's not how it's originally meant to be. God originated something. When, it, when man fell, it perverted man. Man just did that, right? We are a perverted version of Adam and Eve. So don't just limit the definition to something sexual because it's, though it's implied, it's not always that. A perversion is something that's not of its origin any longer. And these people that have no shame, they live in perversions willingly. To tie it a little bit closer, they willingly live in their ungodly beliefs. They see them, they hear things like the messages of ungodly beliefs, but they say, eh, but I like it anyway. I'm good the way I am. They have no sense of shame. And then Paul continues, they live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Again, this is not limited to sexual sin. Every kind of impurity just means whatever offends God is impure. So they actively lie, they actively steal, they actively commit willing, a sin willingly, whether they're manipulation, whether it's theft, whether it's murder, and sexual sins included. All of these things stem from one thing, when you harden your heart to the Lord. If you do not turn your heart to the Father, what you're choosing to do is close it off. And when you close off your heart, your mind follows. Hence why Paul brings these two together. They've closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts. That's going to stop you from experiencing Father's love. And the concept of Father's love will become strange to you. This big guy in the sky wants to hug me? What? There's a floating man in the sky? No, that's, the Bible is just a, it's just a fiction book. It's a fairy tale. The world, it, this, is, this is what we have. When we die, that's it. We don't go anywhere else. The devil has deceived a lot of people. 
But I ask again, where are the Davids? Where are the men and women with their slingshot ready? Listening to the lies of the enemy. Willing to face them. Where are those men and women? Hardened hearts produce orphans. Hardened hearts is a byproduct of unhealed wounds. It's a reaction to an unloved moment. Last week, we, last week we mentioned the term unloved when it's the opposite of, you know, if, if you're supposed to experience love on your birthday or you achieve something and you're expecting to get love, when you don't receive that love, it's simply an unloved moment. Where instead of getting it, you didn't get it. You were unloved in a way. But here's the thing. Unless you surrender the things that you lust after, your dream job, a house, a car, a spouse, or even just plain sexual lust, you will always be consumed by everything but Father's love. The concept of love for so long, for so many people, has become this thing of like, yes, it's love, and you know, the love of God, and it's good, and the love of God is good, and it feels good, and it's good. But, uh, you know, the, the love of God is a quick little thing. You know, we need to talk about more important things. You know, but no, I don't know. I don't know of anything more important than, than Father's love. The Scripture, all it talks about is Father's love. Well, it doesn't say that. Read. If you read the scriptures, you see that a father loves his sons and daughters so much that he does so many things for them without them even noticing. But orphans have become the new church member in modern society. But the father is in the business of adoption. He desires sons and daughters. If you truthfully come into covenant with the Father, truthfully, really come into covenant with the Father, it's hard to continue walking as an orphan. If, I'm going to say this. Be, I know my parents are probably watching, but that's fine. Um, and I'm sure they've probably noticed. But it's hard to walk outside of your identity once you've realized it. When I go to my parents' house, when I do errands for them, or I you know, bring their mail, or I take them things and they're not home, I, I always have my, my key to their house, always. And I know the alarm and all those things. And whenever I go to their house, I cannot leave without raiding their fridge. I'll go into their fridge, and I'll, the first thing I'll look for is, do they have any of the chocolates I like? They usually do, so I take a piece. Then I go over to the freezer. Where are the uh, paletas at? I got to take one or two with me. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'm going to take one for Wendy. And I think, ah, it's probably going to melt by then, so I'm going to eat it. Sorry, Wendy. And I'm in there raiding their fridge, eating their stuff. And then I, I, I check the pantry. Do, do they have anything that I can take with me? Oh, a cup of okay, and I take it. And then I leave. I never ask. I never tell. But do you think that they would deny me. No. Funny fact is, I do it at Brian's house too. I'm sure he's noticed because he's like that. I'm sure Chelsea's been like, who ate my last 
It's probably me. But see, but Brian's not your father. No, but he's my brother. And I know that he loves me. The same way that this guy walks into my house and the first thing he does is, where's the ice cream I like? And he, you know, uh, last Friday after he got his surgery from his teeth, you know, we, after we finished our um, men, men, mentorship session that, that night, he, he, he didn't ask me. He opened up my pantry, took out my mac and cheese and made it. Used my pots and pans, my milk. He didn't ask me for permission, but see, he doesn't need it. Because the love that I have for him covers what he needs. And if he needs from me, if I can give him what he needs, hey, someone gave me what I needed. How can I deny somebody else what they need? But see, that is the love of the Father. And some of you come here, but you come in like this. Touch three people and tell them that you love them. And everyone has to come to you. That's, that's why I like to do this exercise every time I can. Stand up and go somewhere else. Talk to somebody else. Meet somebody else. I see them every week. Great. Bless them. Do something. Be a channel of love. But it's hard to walk as a channel of love when your heart is closed off, right? Yeah, I know it's hard. And that's why you struggle to get out from your place and to extend something that you don't have. Does it mean you, you need to stay in that place? No. And this, is, this, this for me was the greatest, my goodness, moment of, of preparing this message for these last two weeks. was just, I was like floored. And it's this. The devil knows that God loves you. The devil knows God loves you. That doesn't require faith. That is simple, correct doctrine. It's in the scripture. God loves you and me. Faith is knowing Him loving us. That's the big difference. We can read it in the scripture. We can say it in our prayers. But we don't have the faith to believe He actually does. Remember, the devil believes in God more than we do because he was next to him at one point. So the devil knows every little thing that God would have done for us. So the devil's whole plan is to make sure we never experience what God has for us. So he tries to make you believe, Christian, no one... Mika's leaving. You're going to be all by yourself, little guy. <laughs> no one's going to pay attention to you. No one's going to love you, little guy. You're going to be all by yourself. Get ready. You got no friends. You got no, you got no one that likes you. You really think that's what God is telling him in this moment? <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he's heard that. I'm pretty sure the enemy speaks, has spoken that to him. But see, the devil knows that God loves The devil knows that God loves us more than we know God loves us. Because boy, does the Father love us. It's, and the only word that I can say, it's, it's insane how much the Father loves us. I mean, it's truthfully insane 
how much he does. Because if God didn't love us at such a crazy level, the devil wouldn't focus so much on making us believe that we're unloved. Because he, know that every, he knows that everything hinges on us accepting and walking in Father's love. So everything he does is to ensure that you don't know how much you're loved. The entire, you want to know the devil's plan? I'll tell you right now. To make you feel unloved and keep you there. Period. That's all he wants to do. Because if he can keep you there and believing that, you cannot walk in your identity. Who you are is a son and daughter that is loved. Period. No extension, no parentheses, period. You are a son, you are a daughter that is loved. Present tense, continuously being loved. But if the devil can keep you from believing and living in that, he is stopping you from fully exercising your identity. Because he knows that when we discover that we're loved beyond belief in our own fractured and small mind, the devil will no longer be able to convince us of anything that he's been doing. Nobody likes you, Sarah. <laughs> Nobody likes me. Have you seen my father in heaven? <laughs> Have you seen the husband he gave me? Have you seen the house he provided miraculously for? And you want to tell me God don't love me, boy, bye. Hmm. You even do a little snap at the end because you got some sass. Where are the men and women that are willing We have an enemy that is after our soul. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Scripture tells us. But he doesn't come to steal your car. <laughs> he comes to steal your soul. He doesn't come to destroy your TV set. He comes to destroy your personality. He comes to kill everything good in you. Everything godly, everything kind, everything pleasant, and everything gentle. He comes to destroy everything that has a little hint of God in it. But when we learn to live in Father's love, we learn that for the devil to come, he's going to have to break the lock of Father's love. And there's no doing that. <laughs> there's one thing the devil can't break. And that is God's love for us. He can't break it. <laughs> he can't change it either. No matter how much the devil can beat us and overcome us, he can never make the love meter from Father to us ever go down. And that frustrates him. And that upsets him. Because he sees us and he says, But these people are acting in sin. I have deceived them. But the Father says, yes, but they've turned from their ways. They've embraced my love. So you have become unaffected. And in the devil's defeat, I suggest that you rejoice. You cannot grow in your relationship with the Father. And this is a key, a literal key to teaching you to stay, first to enter, but then to stay in Father's love. You cannot grow in your relationship with the Father until you learn to love to forgive. 
you will be in torment until you forgive from your heart. Forgiveness has nothing to do with getting justice. It has everything to do with giving grace. You cannot develop an intimate relationship with the Father and you cannot walk continuously in Father's love if you do not learn to love to forgive. The Father <laughs> forgives us because He loves us. He loves to forgive. How do you know that? Look in a mirror. If He didn't love to forgive us, we would not be standing here today or sitting comfortably or watching from home or watching online or experiencing life today. But it's easy for us to receive an unfailing, unwithering love. Yes, that's easy. But what about when we have to forgive? When we have to take that step? But it's not fair. No, it's not. It hurts. Yes, it does. I suffered for years. Yes, you did. But the key to the transformation power is found when we learn to love to forgive. Because unforgiveness is adding weight to yourself. When you choose to not forgive, you're adding extra baggage thinking that you can still keep going at the pace you're going. Now, I'm not much of a runner, but I know when I've gained too much weight, when I try to run, I'm out of breath quickly. But when I've been exercising continuously for months and I run, it takes a good while for me to run out of breath. So I know that I've gained endurance. But when I take on more weight, I get tired faster. And the longer that you hold on to unforgiveness and you put it off and you put it off and you put it off, you get slower. You get weaker. You start to fall back to a hardened heart because unforgiveness the only purpose it serves is to close your heart unforgiveness is a cancer to your heart but when you learn to love to forgive because you were loved that's why you were forgiven it it makes somebody else's wrong action against you you're able to understand when somebody wrongs you you understand. It's because they don't know how much they're loved. But you see, I know how much I'm loved. They're not my enemy. My enemy is not flesh and blood. So the devil uses people for us to live in unforgiveness. The Bible tells us that our enemy is not flesh and blood. But we often hold flesh and blood accountable to that action rather than the enemy that did it to us through them. The enemy loves to use fathers and mothers and loved ones. But see, forgiveness doesn't change just because of the person. When you forgive the person, what you're doing is you are breaking the power of the enemy, not just over yourself, but over them, without them even realizing. 
because they realize, what do you mean you forgive me? What? I'm hurting you, but I still love you. That doesn't make sense. I know, <laughs> but that's, 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 that's my father. He's taught me to love to forgive. And if you wrong me 10,000 times, I love you enough to forgive you 10,000 times. Seven times seven. 70 times 70. 700 times 700. How many times have we been forgiven, church? Oh, man. When I think about how many times I've been forgiven for the things that I've done, how I've wronged so many people, how can I hold against those when they're, the Father doesn't hold against me? And I want to finish with these last couple of thoughts. I got time. So I got two hours. Your effectiveness in people's lives is directly related to the profoundness of your relationship with the Father. If I aspire to be an effective minister of the Word of God, pastor, leader of a congregation, my effectiveness has nothing to do with my ability to create or write a sermon. Everything that I will ever succeed in stems from the profoundness of my relationship with my father. Even if he's called me to a church of a hundred or even ten people, let me remind you, eleven people revolutionized the world. But their relationship with their maker made the difference. Jesus, and this, this blew my mind, Jesus prepared for 30 years to execute the Father's heart for three. And we want to prepare on Sunday morning and think it's enough to live the whole week. Jesus himself knew if I don't spend time with the Father, I don't know what to do. He said it himself, I only come to do the will of my Father. Whatever I do is because he's told me to do it. That's how profound and in tune Christ was with the Father. Even in the simple things like Jesus fall asleep in the boat, he was obeying the Father. In other words, he was resting when the Father told him to rest. But what do we do? We're like the disciples. We're going to die! And Jesus is hmm, resting in the Father's bosom. Lord, if you wanted me to die on a boat, you would have written in the Scriptures, I will die on a boat. You said I'm going to die on a cross. So this ain't a cross. I'm fine. While the disciples were flipping out, Jesus, do, do you not care? And I'm pretty sure Jesus thought, not, not really, but oh, these guys just don't get it. Kevin still doesn't get it. My goodness, Kevin. How many times do I have to tell you that my love is enough? You think you can do it alone, Kevin? <laughs> Dude, look at your life, 28 years. When have you ever done anything alone and it works out for you? My love needs to be more than enough, Kevin. If it's not more than enough, you will never reach enough. Kevin, you need to learn that you can only be effective as a son. I can hold the title of pastor 
and be ineffective for the rest of my life. But if I'm a son of the Father, I can revolutionize my world. <gasps> it's true. But the beautiful part is that same standard that applies to me, <laughs> it's put over you. You can be Dr. Robin Cruz and do nothing in faith. But you can be Robin, son of the Most High, and change your world. It was the Son of God. <laughs> it was the Son of God that saved the world. It wasn't a Messiah. It wasn't a God. <laughs> God sent His Son. It doesn't say, and I sent my Messiah. I sent my third being. No, I sent my Son. When we know we're sons and we know we're daughters, it changes everything. We can become effective when we know who we are. When we walk in our identity of continuously being loved, we can be effective. Like I mentioned, when you're walking in that continuous love of the Father and you see something that doesn't align with the love of the Father, you can pray it, you can ask, you can look for the miracle, and it's going to happen because that becomes the reality. It, it, it will no longer be perverted when it comes back to the Father's love. It becomes restored to its origin. But listen to this, church. He created the universe, God, but He is not creator by nature. Creating is something that He does. But it is not who he is in his essential nature. If your father is an engineer, you don't relate to him on the basis of the occupation. You relate to him on the basis of his identity in the relationship. God created the universe, but he doesn't relate to you as creator. He relates to you as a father. He doesn't say, call me the high created one. He says, call me father. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, <laughs> he says, he, he doesn't say, oh, heavenly creator, our heavenly creator. He says, our father. Our, not my father. He says, our father. Oh, God is good. Jesus came to reveal that Yahweh is father. That Yahweh is papa. And I want to tell you, church, that unless you learn to walk in that reality... You're never going to go anywhere. We, we have hit the point that unless you truly walk in the identity of who you are, you're not going to experience much. The longer you hold on to what hurts, the less you'll be able to experience what heals. The longer you 
hold on to the memories because it's just how come he how come she the longer you hold on to that the less you're able to experience the healing power of the father and we all have moments that are going to cause us pain Jesus said it himself in this world you will experience hardship but take heart I have overcome the world yeah, yeah. And I want to close with this this morning, or this afternoon now. We walk in the Spirit because we are spiritual beings. Right? We are spiritual beings. We don't walk in the Word. As contradictory as that may think, we don't walk in the Word. We walk in the Spirit. But the Spirit will never lead you into anything that the Word does not validate. Okay? How do I know this? How does that make sense? The disciples needed to walk in the Spirit. They were taught by Christ to walk depending on what Christ depended on. Okay? Funny to me that after Christ ascends into glory... What happened to all the words that Jesus spoke? Where were they? The Holy Spirit is our guide, but the Word is our sustainer. Think of when you go on a hike, you need a guide, right? There's trails, you follow the trail. And when you need to be sustained, when you're thirsty, you drink of the water, you take from the Word. But not once did the disciples read the New Testament. <laughs> They're the ones that wrote it. So what was their source material? They walked by the Spirit, and the Spirit gave them the words to write. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 All Scripture is breathed by God. But we can't breathe Scripture if we're not walking in the Spirit. And unless you want to walk effectively in the Spirit, you need to understand that the Holy Spirit is leading us into Father's love, and His Word is validating that. Are you willing, church? Are you willing because He's coming? Are you willing because He is willing? Everything is going to be different when Father's love invades. Everything will be different. You won't be allowed to be the same. You won't. There is no evidence and there will be no evidence of who you once were when Father's love invades. You'll be, you'll be reminded so that you can remember, hey, I once did that. Don't want to be that again. <laughs> Are you willing, church? That is a question that you're going to have to answer. And it's not half your heart. It's not even 99%. 
all your heart. It's those things where you think, oh man, no one, no one can know about this. Well, somebody already does. <laughs> and despite him knowing, he already forgave. I want you to stand to your feet this morning and we're going to pray as we close out. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And I want to I pray for all of us this morning. And I say all of us because I want to pray for myself too. I want to include myself in, in this. I think it's important for us. If you're watching and listening, I pray that what we experience, you can experience. That just because you're not watching it live or listening to it live, but wherever you are, know that it is a perfect timing. And God wanted you to hear it when you're hearing it right now. And if you're here live this morning, this is your time. This is when the Lord wanted you to know. I thank you, Father, that we can say our Father along with Christ. Our Father. Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father, I ask you, Father, would you just touch the hearts of those that are in need of healing? If you need healing this morning, church, place your hand over your heart. You can place over your hand over your own heart, your own hand over your own heart. If you're in need of healing this morning, Father, would you heal this morning the wounds that life has left from childhood trauma to parental abandonment to rejection to abuse to neglect. to suicidal thoughts and actions. To words spoken over by our mothers and our fathers. I pray right now, Father, by the authority that you've given me as your son, I say, words spoken by mothers, that you're never going to be pretty enough, that you'll never be worth it, that you'll never be enough for a man. In Jesus' name, I cancel that. 
and replace them with the reality of what the Father says. You are more than enough. And you are perfect. It's the word spoken by a father that says you will never be loved. You're not valuable to me. Or maybe they never said I love you. In the name of Jesus, I speak the word of God that says, for God so loved that he came. When your earthly father left, he showed up and he loved. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to begin to magnify, magnify, magnify the love of the Father in hearts right now. I thank you, Lord, that your love is true. I thank you, Lord, that your love is real. And that it's so accessible to us, Father. Oh, this is such a nice moment. It says, it's as if the father is just sitting in this, he's just sitting in the front row smiling. And I, I hear him say, come to my bosom. Come to my bosom. Thank you for doing the invisible work, Holy Spirit. We're not chasing an emotional manifestation. We're not chasing a reaction, Father. I don't need a reaction, Lord. I just desire that you would invade the hearts. And I believe you're doing that, Lord, right now. Thank you for the healing you're causing right now, Father. Thank you for the healing you're causing right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, Lord, we are willing. Yes, Lord, I am willing. I am willing this morning, this afternoon, this night, this day. I want to be willing, Father. Thank you, Father. <laughs> yes, Lord. We pray all this, Father. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. What happened today was real and is real. What you did today, Father, is a real event. I pray, Lord, that the seeds deposited would bear fruit and that the hearts healed would be mended 
all this day would be flushed out. Lord, will you flush out hearts this morning, this afternoon, this night, this evening, overnight, to spilling into Monday? Would you flush out the hearts, Father, that, are, that, that, that have been so accustomed to feel pain and suffering and they've gotten used to it, Lord, will you flush that out and give them a softened heart of flesh? That the love of the Father become the new normal. We love you, Father. We love you. We love you. <laughs> Try saying that with, a, with an angry face. We love you, Father. <laughs> we love you. And we thank you for loving us. <laughs> we thank you for loving us, Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we say amen, amen, and amen. Give the Lord praise this morning. And I pray that, and I remind you, church, healing, it doesn't have to be a moment Healing can be moments if you need it to be. But I believe many of you started the process today. Don't chase an emotional response. <laughs> we often get consumed by them. And we forget why we come to them. So this, this, this week, church, I, I challenge you to pursue the heart of the Father. If you need healing, ask Him to heal you. You don't need me. You don't need a sermon. And if you do, go to YouTube. Go to, go to the podcast. Watch it. But healing is available. And the Father, the Father wants to. So be blessed. Enjoy your Sunday. And we'll gather again on Wednesday to continue to learn and grow together. Amen. Be blessed, church.